Welcome to Diary of an Unemployed Actor with me, Milo Dennison. Each week, I speak with up-and-coming actors, actresses, and filmmakers about the entertainment industry. We discuss success, failure, and share a few tips to inspire those of you who have a passion for the creative arts. Although I should tweak that intro just a little bit, because this week I'm speaking with Eugene Capon, who is a uh, VR filmmaker or VR storyteller, I think is really the way I should introduce it. He uh, does uh, special effects and virtual reality uh, shows and works within that realm. So it was fascinating to talk to him because it's basically on a subject that I'm not too super familiar with, but I do follow technology and I'm a bit of a tech nerd. So I do appreciate that there is a lot in the virtual reality realm that we as filmmakers should pay attention to because there is an aspect of our careers that might move into that realm. I mean, we've already seen it now with film festivals offering sections and categories on 360 virtual reality films. And there is online forums that are held in virtual reality films. And Eugene actually talks about one of those that he hosted. So it's a fascinating subject. And I think it's one that as entertainers, we really shouldn't disregard as being a fad. It is now the future or possibly the future. I assume it will be. And I think Eugene definitely assumes it will be. And so I'd say listen in and kind of enjoy that conversation because it's still all about storytelling. And as filmmakers and entertainers, that's what we're here to do. We're to tell stories and entertain people with those stories. And virtual reality, augmented reality, all that fun stuff is just another avenue of how to do that. It's another option for creatives to be creative. So with that, we'll do a quick promo from a sponsor. And then directly to my discussion with Eugene Capon. Enjoy. Well, let's start with your college because you went to Evergreen State College where I almost went. Really? Or, yeah. A friend of mine was going there around the same time I was looking at school and uh, almost went. And I actually kind of regret not going. I think I would have enjoyed the experience there more. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Seattle native. Oh, no shit. That's, that's, that's awesome. You're, you're out in London now, right? I am, yeah. Okay. Okay, so you went to Evergreen. Did you study... What, what, did, what, was, your, what was your study there in Evergreen? Okay, so um, for anybody who doesn't know, Explain Evergreen system, has a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Evergreen has a unique um, class system where instead of taking, you know, like prereqs and, you know, basically building up to a very specific degree, you basically have just a couple of different routes you can go. Um, the route I went was for a bachelor's in liberal arts. And the way that the classes are actually stacked is you don't take individual classes. You take block classes. And within those blocks, you might take, you know, one math, one science, one PE, you know, and, and whatever your credits end up out to, so you need 180 credits to graduate. Whatever you basically declare at the end, you have to be able to justify in the classes that you took. So for me, I had a bachelor's degree in YouTube studies. YouTube studies. YouTube studies. Oh, so not like special effects, which is what I thought you were going to say, but YouTube studies. 
Yeah. So basically for me, that was uh, filmmaking, online marketing, advanced physics, um, VFX, and animation. Okay. And so uh, the first of my two years that I was there, uh, I took a lot of um, basically film classes, writing, um, English, philosophy, um, cinema classes. And then my second year, I took a semi-independent year-long course that basically made it so I had to produce my own films or, or my own shorts by the end of the year. And that's, that's what I did. I, I did my, my two projects on two directors that I really admire, Hio Miyazaki, uh, which you know created like Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle. And then internet director Mike Delaquest or Mike Diva. Okay, I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, did you ever see the like anime inspired Trump video that went viral? Uh, so he's a he's a really really unique individual in terms of um, directing ability. Okay, uh, he directed the Panini music video for Little Lost X. Okay, um, he started doing viral type videos at the very beginning of the YouTube career. And, you know, he's just uh, been killing it ever since. There's a, there's actually a film on Netflix right now called The Bash Brothers with The Lonely Island. And he's actually the guy who directed that. Okay, I'll look it up. So was that then the path to go into animated film direction? Uh, originally, I wanted to be, uh, I just wanted to be a YouTuber. Okay. It's well, amazing, I, 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 I like, start, like, but it's so amazing the world we live in now that that <laughs> is a path of like, you know what I want to do? I want to make videos for YouTube. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. 10, 15 years ago, people would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the first time I was in college, um, when I was doing community college, I got dual associate degrees in visual communications, one in fine arts, one in techno technical design. And I graduated about 2008. When, you know, the economy collapsed and nobody wanted to hire me for any reason, just because they couldn't afford it. And it took me about two years to find an internship uh, as a graphic and, and web designer. But here's the thing. When you start studying graphic design and web design, uh, you start finding little facets of other things that are relatable and you go, huh. I want to learn about typography. I really want to understand color theory. Um, I'm doing web design. There's this thing called flash animation that seems really cool. So how do I how do I make flash cartoons? And then hey, I'm making cartoons. I should probably learn about video production. And when I was doing my internship, um, a buddy of mine named Joey Clift or Joseph Clift, who is actually he grew up in the same town as I. And we went to the same high school, but we never met each other until we got to college. Well, anyway, in college, we became really, really good friends. And when I was, when I graduated and I was at my internship, uh, he wrote a movie called Justice Never Reloads. And it was like this buddy cop movie that just made fun of the buddy cop tropes. And because it was filmed at WSU... All the actors were like college age kids who were playing like grizzly 40, 50 year olds. Right. Right. And he, of, of course, like they made jokes, you know, calling attention to it, you know, right. 
So he hits me up and he goes, hey, man, uh, I know you're doing design and stuff. Do you know VFX? And I was like, what do you need? I can learn in two weeks. And I, I did. I taught myself After Effects in two weeks. And that way I was able to do like gun flares and a door exploding off hinges and, and the intro title sequence. And they were really impressed with all the stuff that I had built for them. And they were like, hey, man, do you do you want to be in the movie? I said, as what? He said, warehouse thug number two. And I was like, absolutely. So I did I did this really like weird bit part in this film. And when the movie went to film festivals, um, because I had worked on it both as a minor actor and the main like VFX person, I got to go sit on the panels and talking about building something bigger than myself with a team of people and having people genuinely interested in what we were doing was the greatest feeling in the world. And I was like, how do I keep this feeling going? And YouTube seemed like the obvious answer. And then that led you to a studio, Capone. Capone? How do you say it? Is that right? Am I pronouncing uh, it right? Capin? Uh Capin. Okay. Like the uh, Spanish word for uh, rooster. Got it. Capin. Yeah. Capin. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. So we started Studio Capin when we sold uh, Glitched. Okay. Uh, Glitched is one of the first in VR talk shows to ever be ordered by, uh, by like a social network. Yeah, so, and and we did that for three seasons. After we did the first season and we got, like, the first paycheck, we were like, man, where do we put the money? Uh, we should probably start a production company. Okay. So, I want to jump back to Glitched. Uh, that, so, I watched some of the clips that you had on YouTube and stuff. It, so, how did that work? So, were you recording it with the VR headset or was it, because what it looks to me like is you recorded the audio and then just did 3D animation to kind of animate some of the movements and stuff like that. Oh no, that was that those were live shows. Okay, that's what I was wondering. So those were a hundred percent live shows. Yeah. So walk we me would, through making that a little bit. I'm absolutely. Um so the first season we did on Alt Space and and to kind of press to put this forward, um we did the first season on Altspace and the second and third season on High Fidelity. And those are both social VR platforms that are very different from each other. Altspace is very plug and play, while High Fidelity is overly customizable. And so when I, I first discovered uh, VR, um, I was like, this is the future. This is what I want to do now because I, I know it's going to be huge. And I quit my job at a YouTube consulting agency uh, that I got into right out of college to go pursue VR full time. And I started following everybody I could in the industry. And there was only like 200 people because none of the big VR headsets had come out yet. Roughly what year was this? Uh, this was uh, 2016. I quit okay. my job to go pursue VR. And... For the next year, I was jumping on every hackathon, every, you know, building workshop, every course I could find on 360 video and, and animation because I, I knew all these skills were going to be, you know, very critical uh, to, to pushing all this stuff moving forward. And I just happened to follow somebody uh, who was hired at Altspace 
to put together 16 big shows for their platform. And I, I was like the last person they, they approached about giving a show to. Uh, some of the other people were like Reggie Watts, uh, Justin Roiland, who created this show called Rick and Morty, um, Michael, Sarah, Sarah Silverman, and Tim, uh, Tim and Eric had a show called Josh. And then uh, I got a show. And I called my my buddy, uh, Topher Welsh, uh, who had started the After Effects Seattle group, which is the largest motion design user group in the country. Um, that's actually kind of how we met. And I knew that he had been a radio talk show host at one point on Funky Monkey here in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, hey, man, do you want to co-host this? I mean, I could use a, an Andy to, you know, Conan O'Brien over here. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we started calling every like big YouTuber we were friends with because, you know, I'd been working a YouTube consulting agency and we're like, hey, man, I hear you have 800,000 subscribers. You want to come do a VR show? And with Altspace, again, it's very plug and play. You just pick an avatar and you go. So would you send them the like, so would they install the software or an app on their computer and what was their end so all space is free to download okay you just go into steam you download it and we tried to find youtubers that we knew were tech oriented and owned a vr headset okay so in the show you just put on your vr headset you log in uh we had their usernames and permissions set up ahead and then you ended up in this uh in this room that we actually we stole reggie watts's stage <laughs> okay uh from him <laughs> like they built him a, a stage and we we stole it from him straight up and we would just conduct these really funny celebrity type interviews every single week and eventually we got to probably our eighth episode so we'd been doing this for for about two three months now and we get this email going, hey, I need you to cancel your show for tomorrow. And we're like, uh, why? And they said, we can't tell you. And so I turned to Topher and I was like, dude, they're either canceling our show or all space is going under. And because this is experimental and they're not paying us, I, I have a feeling they're filing for bankruptcy tomorrow and they're making the announcement that they're closing. And that's exactly what happened. Um, a few months later, Microsoft would actually go and buy them out and basically bring them back from the dead. And, you know, their alt space is still alive. But for how many months we had this like developed premise and show in VR that had no home. And it was really cool that Philip Rosedale and his team reached out and they were like, hey, we really like your show. And to me, that was like, oh, you probably couldn't afford anybody else on that roster, right? <laughs> Tell me about the film, uh, the Journey VR, because that was at SIF, which is uh, on my list of places to eventually have a film shown. Oh, cool. Um, lately, are you working on something or is is just like... Let just like down the road sort of down plans. Road, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, yeah, I mean, I, I have a film that I'm working on actually. I don't think it's going to be good enough for SIF, unfortunately. Uh, but hopefully oh, the you one don't after know that. this film will be good enough for SIF. Oh, okay. Um, so journey VR was my first, um, 360 video project Um, I ever self-produced and I actually built it because of, um, I was approached by Seattle fashion week 
as going, hey, uh, we see that you do videos and stuff. We want to bring VR to our, our show. And this is still like very early uh, 360 video VR stuff. Can, you, can we have you build something for us? And I was like, how long do I have? They're like, you have 28 days. I'm like, oof. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard pull. Uh, so I created this very simple concept of you just being shot into space and going through a very operatic uh, experience. And I pulled in my, uh, my buddy, Adrian Ledelia, who had been uh, the guy who actually did the um, intro for, for Glitch later on. But him and I had been friends, and we had worked at Comic Shop TV together for about four years. And I was like, hey, man, can you build... I want, like, the Halo theme, but I want it for, like, eight minutes. <laughs> And I wanted to match this like VR experience I'm I'm making. And he said okay, and I remember him sending me the first two minutes, and it was just so beautiful. I just started like tearing up because it was so well done. I was like, man, how do you hit it on the first knot, man? This is incredible. And so we we debuted it at Seattle Fashion Week. We sent it in a week early, you know, right on or right on time, a week before the show. I mean. And they were like, this is fantastic. You know, here's a, your own booth and, you know, you got to bring in a VR headset and, you know, you can show it to people. I said, great. And somebody at SIF saw it and was like, hey, um, we want to do 360 videos at SIF this year. You should submit this. And they actually went, hey, look, uh, I'm on the board. If you submit this, there's a good chance I'll get through. <laughs> I'm like, that's great. So I submitted it. It became an official selection at SIF. And then somebody at Steam saw it and was like, hey, uh, we're doing a, a rental program on Steam. Um, we would love it for, it for you to submit this to us. And we'll sell copies of it and, and rentals, two-day rentals. And it was the number one 360 video on Steam for about 30 days. Because when I think going to film festivals, I think I'm sitting in an auditorium, you know, rows of people sitting next to me watching a film mm -hmm. on the screen. What's the VR experience like? Um, the VR experience is a little bit more personal in terms of this. Usually you have some sort of like large room and you have people at different booths and each booth is an individual film. And so you go in, you go, hey, that film looks interesting. There's usually like either a poster or a computer monitor playing a trailer and you sit down and you put on the headset and the uh, headphones and they, they start it for you. And, you know, you do the experience, you get up and you walk over to the next film. Do you see that changing in the future in regards to the experience where perhaps maybe multiple people are watching the film at the same time with multiple headsets or so, be so you're actually that? talking about like uh, telecasting. I've actually, um, a friend of mine had a VR experience. Um, oh, I, I think it was called click. Well, anyway, he, uh, he did this VR experience, which was actually at the Pacific science center. And I went and go and I helped him out, put together 30 headsets that were all on a trigger. So 30 people could sit in a booth and they would start running the experience all at the same time to them. Yeah. That's kind of what I was imagining. I think similar to that. It's, it's, it's a little bit, 
it's a little bit more expensive when you're trying to run 30 different headsets at the same time versus a small indie creator like myself where you might have like three headsets. Okay. Is yeah. it just the, is it, there's something with the processing needed? Uh, no, 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 no. Like headsets cost money. <laughs> okay. Is it, so it's mostly just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just content. financial contribution to, you know, trying to get people to watch your content. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean like, like if I could have had, you know, an auditorium where 60 people were all sitting and all putting on the same headset, you know, I, I totally would. Um, except for going to film festivals with journey. It, it didn't exist yet. Like there was no way to, you know, get, 30, 40 people all in the same experience at the same time. And especially now with things like COVID, you definitely want to like clean the headsets off yeah. individually. And that's a lot of headsets to clean before you try to get the next person in. Do you see it going more virtual, like people watching stuff at home versus going into spaces? Like that? I think with like the current climate of how things are working, yeah. more shows are definitely becoming um, telecasted. Or, or teleprompted and I definitely see there being a, a time and place where you might put her on a headset have an avatar go into a room that is going to play an experience and then your feed from inside the social network essentially uh, gets shifted over to whatever experience that you're trying to trying to play when, how long do you think that's what, cause I've, I mean, I remember watching an episode of the X-Files in the late nineties where <laughs> Fox Mulder went into like a virtual reality type experience. And I mean, everybody's always talking about virtual reality being the next big thing. And I know when Oculus came out, uh, so I have an Oculus and, and I remember when it came out and was like, oh, this is the shit. And, and then you play with it for a few weeks and then you kind of like, all right, that's, that was cool. And I'm, I'm still waiting for that big jump. And I actually thought COVID might be that thing too, because especially with film festivals, people watching festivals at home and television, but it, I still haven't feel that, it, that we've hit that, um, that turning point to where it's mainstream enough to where it's the, it's actually in, I don't know, in, yeah, I don't know what word I'm trying to look for there is, but you, you get where I'm going with my question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think what we're talking about now is, um, the eventual replacement of the internet and how we're making tiny little strides to it. Right. Um, so for anybody who's ever watched, say like ready player one or, or the matrix. There you go. And, Something and more Holy recent than an episode of the X-Files. There we go. Yeah. There are always these like virtual worlds um, like the Oasis or, you know, the matrix that basically, get everybody on this wide universal platform that leads to like games or social experiments or, you know, a digital version of the library. And in real life, we actually call that the metaverse and it's supposed to be the eventual replacement of the internet. And I actually give a talk on the steps that we need to take to basically get there for us to actually have the metaverse there are a few things we need. The first thing is we need better headsets. Right now, there are things like the Varjo out of uh, Europe, which has human eye resolution mm -hmm. in, in their headsets, but the headsets are like $25,000. And the average person is never going to be able to, to have that. 
the second thing is for more realistic textures and you know gameplay you're definitely going to need a beastly machine right uh we have a eleven thousand dollar pc and it's still not real enough for us right like you need full racks of servers to to get it to that point where you actually feel like you're in a a real environment and i i think things like stadia google stadia are really interesting because it's all server side where you can do the most graphically intensive experience in the world on your, you know, $600 phone or $200 iPad, right? So I, I think there are definitely ways around it in terms of processing power, uh, but that just raises other questions such as latency. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the big problems with um, VR is it, it tends to make people sick who are not used to it. And that's due to a condition called um, VR sickness. And that's when you have a disconnect between what you're visually seeing and the inner ear fluid that is actually feeling. Uh, Your inner ear fluid is responsible for making sure that you know what's up and what's down and what's left and what's right. And when you have a disconnect between what you visually see and, and what you're supposed to be feeling or supposed to be experiencing, your body goes, oh, crap, there's something wrong, I need to let you know. And that's why you get sick. And it, yeah. uh, it also causes this through things like low frame rates. I mean, there should never be a VR experience slower than, you know, 60 frames a second. 90 would be ideal because at that point you have trouble telling where the frame rate actually is because it feels um, so smooth. And if you're doing everything server-side rendering, you get that latency because it has to travel over the internet mm-hmm. and things might not load fast enough. So I think when we get to like 6G, whereas 5G, you have like what, 100 gigs a second in, in transfer speed. 6G, you get about 30 terabytes a second. Okay. And so I think at that point, it's um, the technology will finally be there. And then from there, you're basically trying to solve social issues at this point where what is your, you know, base identity inside of virtual reality? Are you an avatar that's been photogrammically, you know, modeled to match you, you know, every little pore and hair strand, or are you a six foot barbarian wolf, you know, from a, you know, distant world. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be able to take this avatar or your digital representation or your, your twin and have it um, populated across every single platform. And we don't have a way of going, hey, when you jump into Doom, you don't get to beat yourself now. Yeah. Or, you know, when you're in World of Warcraft, you know, you have to choose from any of the races that, you know, they provide for you. So it takes you out of the experience do you see it happening within our lifetime? And we've gone from 2G, 15 years 2G to 5G, you know, in not that long of a period of time. No, no, no. We're, we're actually already talking about like 6G. So the great thing about, you know, how technology evolves mm-hmm. is it gets faster and faster exactly. and faster. And it's, I mean, when we get quantum computing, like on the regular, I mean, that's, that's a whole new bag of worms that we could open up what about um i'm I'm thinking filmmaking 
point of view and creating CGI characters. And we've already seen this, obviously, with Star Wars and a few other things where mm -hmm. they digitally recreate characters that are dead. Uh, is that, and I know actors are a lot are complaining about that, basically saying, hey, you know, that's my job or, hey, I don't want to be digitally recreated after I'm dead. Do you see that? I, I, mean, whether, I, I think I, mean, I think it's going to be the norm. Yeah. I think it's going to become the norm. I mean, people are going to sign away their likeness um, or you're going to hire a 3D modeler to create a avatar or a um, digital realistic, you know, being, so to speak, um, that is going to be used in, in movies. I mean, like, look at, look at the music industry uh, for the last how many years we've had digital acts. I mean, we had Death Clock from Adult Swim. We had the Gorillas. Um, we have uh, Hasume Miku, who is a huge pop star in Japan, who's been around for, what, 20 years now? And I don't think it's going to be slowing down with just the music industry. Uh, I definitely know that there are like Instagram models now who are 100% digital. Yeah. We're getting brand deals. I've seen that, yeah. Um, there's, you know, every day there's a new agency popping up right now who has, you know, Hey, hire our digital models. They work cheap. Right. So you can basically just pay for the model, put that model into whatever placement that you want the model to be in to advertise your product. And that model is completely 100% fake. Yeah. Hmm. And I, it's just going to it's, it's going to keep going. It's, it's the brand new world of, uh, digital commerce where you don't have to pay a physical actor for certain things. Yeah. Think about it this way. Um, say you have a digital avatar for uh, James Bond, right? Mm -hmm. You could have a different motion capture, you know, actor play James Bond, but in all the films, he universally looks a certain way. Yep. I mean, you don't have to update the character every single year right mm -hmm. or say we did this with um you know the justice league i mean henry carvel is is out um batfleck is is out but if we had used digital beings for those characters in the first place you could make as many movies as you wanted and you wouldn't have to pay these like high budget actors you know what they're asking for yeah it's it's interesting i from a personal perspective i i'm not a fan of it i still even like yeah i mentioned star wars for example i enjoy the original star wars because i know there's actual people in the stormtrooper outfits versus any of the new ones where they're cgi'd characters and uh but Obviously, any new film, I mean, you look at any of the Marvel films, I mean, they're almost all CGI and they're making, you know, shit tons of money. So it's certainly where the world is moving to. I mean, in the um, MCU, they've had three different actors play Hulk, right? Yeah, exactly. This could have been the software, right? <laughs> you, you could have an Edward Norton-esque uh, digital actor through all the movies. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Where on a more practical level, though, like day to day people that want to get into this type of stuff and create virtual characters, uh, how would how would a more uh, not major Hollywood studio type of a person 
get into this line of work? Um, there are a ton of really, really entry level uh, devices for trying to get into things like this. Uh, if you're trying to just play around with VR and, and do the whole like rigging system and, and controlling an avatar, there are platforms like VR chat that I would recommend. Then you can just record yourself inside of VR chat to, to make like YouTube videos. If you're trying to go more just like talking head routes, uh, I would say things like base rig where you can buy it for $15 on steam. You can go to Mixamo, which is a, piece of software that comes with the Adobe creative license. You can make your own avatar and then you can upload it to face rig. And that way you can be your own character. You can talk to the camera and you can, you know, take that character and put them into whatever environment you want. But if you're going to, you know, go the route of, you know, full CGI tracking and, everything else uh there are some great options as far as free software like blender Mm -hmm. would be great um or you can go a more professional route and there are things like maya or c4d or 3ds max um substance painter is a great uh addition for updating textures and then if you're going to go full cinematics as far as trying to create like bigger end projects uh, I might suggest learning Unreal. They have a great cinema stack as far as uh, creating a digital world and environment, uh, taking tracked uh, facial features and, and body rigs and importing it into the system. And then you can control the base environment. And, you know, that's really close to how Hollywood groups are doing it. Uh, say like the Mandalorian was very much done in the same space as far as uh, digital backgrounds. And then all the actors were in front of a uh, an LED screen. Or you might take a look at what um, they were doing for the Avatar films where they actually had a, a real life camera with a tracker in it. And they were like moving around a soundstage, taking a look at this digital environment in real time. So they were seeing on the camera what the virtual environment looks like around the characters. Yeah. And then it's it's the best way to figure out like exactly, you know, hey, this is where I want the camera to go. This is, you know, the sort of um, pose or action I want from the actors. Yeah. And then you can really take your time and not have to spend millions of dollars building these ultra sets that, you know, you're just going to have to tear down and get rid of later. Um, I, I think bringing these sort of tools to the industry um, is just going to keep pushing us forward as far as the capabilities and the worlds that we're going to create and put our actors into. All right. Well, what is next for you? What, like, what should we be looking for from... Uh, today, uh, we just released our next 360 video uh, earlier today. It's called... So- we We rebuilt the first level of Sonic the Hedgehog as a 360 video. So the original Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah. From like 1991 as a, as a, as a VR yeah. video. Green Hills level one. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. All right. Where can people see that if they want to see it? Uh, you can find it on the studio cap in YouTube channel. There you go. Uh, it's just studio then cap on like you're putting a cap on your head. All one word. I'll put a link in the notes. Perfect. Excellent. And then uh, anything after that that we should be keeping an eye out for? 
Uh, nothing that I can talk about publicly yet. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So if people want to uh, track you down or follow you, where would they find you? Uh, I would say hit me up on Twitter, um, which is just cap and design. Uh, but if you're interested in some of the XR content creation stuff that we do or, or animation, um, you can email me at eugene at studiocapon.com. Uh, I'm going to actually follow up one more question because this actually was on my list of questions. So explain sure. for anyone listening the difference between XR, VR, and AR. Okay. XR is basically the all-encompassing term for uh, extended reality. That's anything outside of meat space, which is what you and I actually occupy. Uh, augmented reality is basically an overlay of visual, audible, or taste, some sort of extrasensory uh, change to your actual physical environment. So when you put on an AR headset and suddenly it tracks all the geometry in the room, and you're able to like put digital objects on your table or interact with you know screens in front of your face. Uh, that's augmented reality. Virtual reality is when you can take put on a physical headset and be transported to a new environment. So that's when you get into like uh, you know Half Life Alex or or Beat Saber or you know something like that. Perfect, and that's a great way yeah. to end it. Thanks a lot, Eugene, for uh, being Thanks on for the show. Thanks for having me. That was great. That was so informative, man. Like, uh, you, I, I, I look at things from like filmmaking and act, acting perspective. So it's uh, so interesting to get into kind of the weeds of uh, technology like this. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I know there's like this whole, you know, back history of Hollywood and how things have been traditionally done. And, you know, it's my whole job to, like, push the envelope technology-wise and, and see what we can make or do or, you know, create that is, you know, never been seen before. 